Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book. All right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 57, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, by Jonathan Safran Four. My dad said, the way I saw the world was a gift, that I was different than everyone else. A great game we'd play was Reconnaissance Expedition. He told me to bring back something from every decade in the 20th century. I found something from every decade. Already? Welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast that is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we will take a thorough look at one piece of literature we have both read and determine whether or not it is required reading. As always, I'm Tom Panneries, and with me is the Oscar to my... Oh, no. Somebody with the last name of Black... 
Yeah, Stella. probably his upstairs neighbor. Uh, thank you. Question mark, question mark. I don't know. I don't I know was, if I, I should take it offensively. Yeah. But that it, I mean, that's one of your questions, to be honest about this little guy. But yeah, here we are. He certainly is an odd duck. So I guess I can, I mean, we, we all know that yeah. I'm an odd duck. Yeah. Yeah. So it well, works out. Define odd duck. <laughs> You're not Define, a odd duck. Someone who matches to the beat of his, her, or their own drum. Okay. <laughs> you gave me the most general definition possible. You're welcome. I don't. <laughs> How would you define I don't know, duck? Stella. Oh, okay. <laughs> so don't get on me for my definition. Golly. Uh, so how are you? Hey, I'm, you know, some of us still have to work in the summer, so I'm trying that. to um, – this is the first summer I've had to work because yeah. even last summer I, I didn't get my screening job until August, so it's mm. been a bit of a heartbreak. But, yeah, taking walks outside when I can, trying to read, trying to live my life. But uh, I'm tired. I'm, I'm just a tired person. But I've got to build up my PTO. Yeah. So then I can take off. It is way too hot out for me to walk outside. I've been on treadmills or just walking in front of my TV the last few days, watching bad movies. It's so hot out. It is, yeah. Today, I think, well, my car anyways, red 96. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until it's like 7 or 8 p.m. when I go out. Yeah. But, yeah, I get that. Yeah, so, well, cool. Yeah, it's just, it's, I'm about, I think, at the halfway point. I think I'm almost a month away from when we go back. I think we go back on the 16th for the oh. teacher work week. So, I'm almost, almost gotcha. uh, a month away. Um, but no, I mean, it's, I'm keeping myself busy and trying to, trying to, you know, relax while it's that weird, (laughs) it's that weird thing of, um, as someone who is the one who doesn't work, I I carry a fair amount of guilt (laughs) with, Mm. with the, um, with the fact that I'm off all day, but you know, I I keep myself busy. I have stuff to do. So, which includes editing and reading writing and recording and a lot of different podcast episodes because i took the kind of initiative this summer to record a bunch of stuff so i'm like all right let's see if this works so <laughs> let's see how fast i run out of steam on this so all right well we are reading um we have read sorry we're going to discuss uh extremely loud and incredibly close which, for some reason, in my mind, I keep saying extremely loud and uncomfortably close, which mm. um, I that is not the correct title. And I believe that is just the subtitle of the book uh, of the autobiography of any given Karen on any given day. But um, but no, extremely loud and incredibly close is a novel by Jonathan Safran. And I I don't think I miss I, I may be mispronouncing his name. I want to say four or four. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure. What's your What's your take on the mis- of the pronunciation of his last name? Well, I'm afraid that I would have <laughs> I would have gone onto the YouTube and asked. Um, well, I would have typed in his name and then mm. seen how how it was. So I I don't know what to uh what to tell you there. I have no thoughts unless you want me to YouTube right now. No, it's okay. I don't. Okay. We'll probably be seeing like the author anyway. Um. 
yeah, so so uh, this was a book that came out in 2005. Um, but before we get into what it's about and what happens in it, what is your history with it? Okay, I would like to tell a story. Okay. Which involves, well, I'll just tell the story. So my first trip to Italy, I remember being, I think I was either a freshman or sophomore, but I was um, in the middle of a long row. So it was a plane where it had the Mm, three basically sections. Yeah. So unfortunately, I was in the middle and I was becoming ill because of turbulence. I'm not sure this. And anyways, the breakfast came out because that's when we were landing and it happened to be quiche. And once I was not about to eat anything because I did not feel well. But once the woman next to me opened her quiche, luckily I had a dog uh, in a hair sickness bag with me because that smell just came with me. So now whenever anyone talks about quiche, which actually just recently happened, they were thinking about having quiche for dinner and I was going to come visit. I said, absolutely not. That's the one breakfast food I basically can't eat mm-hmm. and I never will again. So all that to say <laughs> that I attempted to read on my Rory Gilmore's reading list was everything is illuminated. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's the only, bo- I'm pretty sure it's the only book that I did not finish. Does this mean I didn't finish Rory Gilmore's <laughs> reading list? I don't know. I like to think still I didn't. I but I just could not get through it. I really disliked it. And it was, I don't even, it was bizarre. It was just, I couldn't. And so when you mentioned this book, and I think maybe you said the author, or I was putting on the hold, I thought, that that's not him, is it? That's. And then I got the book. And I thought, oh, no, it is him. I almost had a quiche situation. Like, can I get through this? And even when I started and I texted you, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this. So that's basically my history. I associate it with becoming ill for the quiche. Now, Um, I won't reveal whether or not I like it yet because we're not in that section. But it is pretty much this is my history of the book. I have more of a history with the author. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of carries some baggage with me in my mind. So I've just made this a way more interesting and drawn <laughs> answer than you even needed. But there it is. Because I, you know, I'm an odd duck. Now, I do need to, a point of clarification. Did you use the vomit bag? Oh, yes, I did. You were yeah, the- I, Yes, I became ill. I, um... Yeah, and that was the roughest landing I've ever experienced in a an airplane as well. The wheels actually touched the runway, and then it bounced back up and landed. So it was, like, terrible. <clears throat> and I was really sick for, ooh, a couple of days, and we were in Italy. Luckily, the first stop we went to were the catacombs, and we're in the summer. So it was, like, cooler, but I became sick on the bus. Yeah, it was it was rough. It was really rough. You are the only person I've ever met who has actually <gasps> used an airplane vomit bag. Yeah, well, so you know what? Congratulations. After that, <laughs> thank you. It's my pleasure. You know, after that, every time I get on a plane, knock on wood, I haven't gotten sick since then. But every time, I check to be sure that I have one, just in case, mm-hmm. because you honestly never know, and it'd be way—it's way more ex- embarrassing 
to throw up and have it go everywhere than just like you're throwing up next to somebody, but at least it's in a bag. So I'm going to suffer whatever that is. And I'll probably never see that person ever again. But if I'm going to become sick, then mm-hmm. at least there should be something to catch it. So, so there I, oh, I'm, I'm glad to yeah. be your first. <laughs> yeah, so, so we will be answering two questions in this episode. Is this required reading? <laughs> and is this a better experience than quiche. Than, than or, quiche yeah. or than using a vomit bag on an airplane. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, funny you should mention everything is illuminated. I didn't really make that connection until I snagged the book from my school library. And uh, I was I was reading the back cover and it said everything is illuminated. And I flashed back to my very first year of teaching where I had a colleague who, like, loved the book that book i think he was gonna use it in class or something and and he he, uh he loaned me the movie or recommended the movie so i never read the book but i i um i couldn't get through the movie Mm. it was just so like pretentious and i was like i can't i could i don't think i could finish that movie so i never read everything was illuminated but i was like already into this book here i'm like well i might as well go um, so yeah, this is my, uh, but I, I picked this because I've been, um, doing a lot of reading and, and, and various things, uh, for, for other reasons, um, about, uh, 9-11 and, um, this was a book that I knew was about, not about 9-11 so much as was a 9-11 novel. And I knew it was one of the bigger name ones, like the one of the ones that got the most more um, noteworthy ones, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore, I was like, OK, well, you know, um, it was it was therefore it was on my list and it's it's been on my list for a long time now at this point. So I decided to this is the one I was going to pick off the Goodreads list and stuff. So this is the uh, first and only time I've read it as well. So. All right. Well, let's go ahead and give us a little bit of context of the book, uh, a little bit of the real-life history of the author, and the plot synopsis. And I will come straight up and say that, um, as I told you mm-hmm. in uh, over text, that I wikipedia the crap out of this thing. And uh, you were okay with that, so I hope our listeners will be. So... Our author was born in Washington, D.C. as the son of Albert Four, a lawyer and a president of the American Antitrust Institute, and Esther Saffron Four, a child of Holocaust survivors born in Poland, who is now senior advisor at the Sixth and I Historic Synagogue. He is the middle son of a Jewish family. His older brother, Franklin, is a former editor of the New Republic. His younger brother, Joshua, is the founder of Atlas Obscura and of Safaria. Four was a flamboyant, in quotes, and sensitive child who at the age of eight was injured in a classroom chemical accident that resulted in, quote, something like a nervous breakdown drawn out over about three years, during which he wanted nothing except to be outside his own skin. He attended Georgetown Day School and in 1994 traveled to Israel with other North American Jewish teenagers in a program sponsored by Bronfman Youth Fellowships. 1995, while a freshman at Princeton, he took an introductory writing course with Joyce Carol Oates, who took an interest in writing his writing, telling him that he, quote, had the most important of writerly qualities, energy. He graduated from Princeton in 1999 with a degree in philosophy. He traveled to Ukraine to expand his thesis from Princeton. And this is where I'm supposed to note that I graduated the same year 
as said author. <gasps> we both are 1999 graduates, but I did not go to a fancy schmancy private school in D.C. And I attended an in where is that college instead of Princeton. So there you go. And where is it? <laughs> that sounds so horrible. I went to Loyola. Oh, and where is that? Yeah, that that's an in where is that college. <laughs> Well, well, in their defense, we did talk about Loyola in the previous episode that there was another one in the Midwest. And that's the other question you get when you say went to Loyola. It's the one in Chicago. No, (laughs) it's the one in Baltimore. (laughs) All right. So back into the back of the bio. Uh, He in 2001, he edited the anthology of Convergence of Birds, original fiction and poetry inspired by the works of Joseph Cornell to which he contributed the short story, If the Aging should, Magician Should Begin to Believe. Uh, we have both e- mentioned in some capacity his first novel, which was called Everything is Illuminated. That was published in 2002, um, and that earned him a number of awards. It was adapted into a film in 2005. His second novel, which is this one, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, that was published in 2005. His inspiration for the main character, Oscar Schell, came from when having difficulty with another project. In an interview, he stated, I was working on another story and I just started to feel the drag of it. And so as a side project, I got interested in the voice of this kid. I thought maybe it could be a story. Maybe it would be nothing. I found myself spending more and more time on it and wanting to work on that. On the challenge of writing a novel in a child's voice, he responded, It's not the voice of a child exactly, adding that in order to create this thing that feels most real, it's usually not by actually giving the most accurate presentation of it. He combined the character he had been developing with the 9-11 centered plot. He created the storyline from his personal experiences and reactions regarding the terrorist attacks on 9-11. He was sleeping off jet lag after returning to New York City from a trip to Spain as you do, and he was woken up by a phone call from a friend. He said, you have to turn on the TV. A plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. And then he said, I think it's going to be a very strange day. In another interview, Forrest said, I think it's a greater risk not to write about 9-11. If you're in my position, a New Yorker who felt the event very deeply and a writer who wants to write things that he feels deeply about, I think it's risky to avoid what's right in front of you. The novel used writing techniques known as visual writing, it follows multiple but interconnected storylines. It's peppered with photographs of doorknobs and such oddities. We'll talk about those um, as we go, of course. His use of these techniques resulted in praise and excoriation from critics. John Updike, the great John Updike, according to some, writing from for The New Yorker, found the novel to be, quote, thinner, overextended, and sentimentally watery compared to his first novel. He stated the book's hyperactive visual surface covers up a certain hollow monotony in its verbal drama. In a review for the New York Times, Michiko Kakutani said, while it contains moments of shattering emotion and stunning virtuosity that attest to Mr. Ford's myriad gifts as a writer, the novel as a whole feels simultaneously contrived, improvisatory, schematic, and haphazard. Kakutani also stated the book was, quote, cloying and identified the sympathetic main character as a major issue. The topic of the child narrator is a contentious one. Many critics found the child narrator to be unbelievable and not relatable. Anis Shivani said similarly in a Huffington Post article entitled The 15 Most Overrated Contemporary American Writers. 
claiming that Thor rode the 9-11 novel Gravy Train with Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, giving us a 9-year-old with the brain of a 28-year-old Jonathan Safran. Four. Four. I'm never going to get this guy's name right. Despite several unfavorable reviews, the novel was reviewed positively and by several critics. His child narrator was featured in a critical article called 10 of the Best Child Narrators by John Mullen of The Guardian in 2009. The Spectator said that Saffron Four is describing a suffering that spreads across continents and generation and that, quote, the book is a heartbreaker, tragic, funny, intensely moving. His excellent second novel vibrates in the details of a current tragedy, but successfully explores the universal questions that trauma brings on its flood tide. It's hard to believe that such an inherently sad story could be so entertaining, but his writing lightens the load. Sam Munson, in a review of two novels on catastrophe claimed, Four has a natural gift for choosing subjects of great import and then pitching his distinctive voice sharply enough to be heard above their historical din. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close received the following accolades. It was on the New York Public Library's Best to Remember list, the International Dublin Literary Award shortlist, the Morning News Tournament of Books, quarter finalist, the New York, he was the New York Times bestseller. It was um, honored by the Library du Quebec. It was an ALA Outstanding Book for the College Bound. It was an ALA Notable Book for Adults. It was one of the Village Voice's 25 favorite books for the year, and it won a V&A Illustration Award. The book has also been frequently challenged. According to the American Library Association, it was one of the top 100 banned and challenged books between 2010 and 2019, mostly due to vulgar language and sexual content. Warner Brothers and Paramount, by the way, turned the novel into a film in 2000, uh, I think it was 2011 or 2012, uh, produced by Scott Rudin, directed by Stephen Daldry, Tom Hanks, Sandra Bullock, John Goodman, Viola Davis, Max von Sydow, and Jeffrey Wright starred alongside the 2010 Jeffrey Kids Week winner Thomas Horn, who was 12, and he played Oscar. So uh, anything to add to that before I get into the summary, which I literally copied and pasted from Wikipedia? I may have missed it, but did you was any mention made of Oscar's, uh, I don't know, behavior slash mental? They, behavior no um the they just said he was unbelievable and not relatable in the criticisms but there was so, no okay. he was saying he was trying to write the voice of a child but no and that was i think one of the questions kind that i kind of put for our discussion yeah was i did that see it with I, christopher right yeah because yeah. that struck me as well so um we okay. definitely are going to get to that I'm surprised. Like, that seems really obvious to me. Yeah. So I wonder. So this is just the author for just like this is his interpretation of a kid. <sighs> yeah. That's interesting. OK, continue, sir. <laughs> so, yeah. so our plot synopsis cur- comes courtesy of Wikipedia. And I've got to be honest, it this is not an easy novel to necessarily summarize. No. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I mean, okay, the, there's a plot that is easy to summarize, which involves Oscar, this nine-year-old kid, going to find the lock that a key unlocks. Like, if you, you can, we can do a bare bones, but even if I did that, I'd leave a lot out. So 
This seems to be a decent summary of the novel, so we'll go with this. Okay, so Oscar Schell is a nine-year-old boy whose father, Thomas Schell, died in the terrorist attacks in the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. The novel begins after the tragedy with Oscar narrating, since his father's death, Oscar struggles with insomnia, panic attacks, and depression. He often describes the feeling of depression as wearing heavy boots and deals with this by giving himself bruises. His relationship with his mother has also become strained, particularly as she has started dating a man named Ron, whom she, he resents for replacing his father. One day in his father's closet, Oscar finds a key in a small envelope inside a vase that he accidentally broke. In the key shop, he finds the name Black and thinks this has something to do with the key. Curious, Oscar sets out on a mission to contact every person in New York City with the last name of Black in the hope of finding the lock that belongs to the key his father left behind, creating a binder with mementos of his journey. One of the first people Oscar meets is a 48-year-old woman named Abby Black. Oscar and Abby instantly become friends, but she has no information on the key. Oscar continues to search the city. Toward the end of his journey, Oscar meets an old man he calls, quote, the renter, because until the point of the meeting, Oscar had only heard of the old man's existence from his grandmother, who referred to him as the new tenant in her apartment. The reader learns toward the end of the book that the renter is actually Oscar's grandfather, who had abandoned his grandmother when she was pregnant with Thomas, though Oscar does not realize the connection. The book spans many months of Oscar's journey, some of which he is accompanied by his eccentric elderly neighbor, Mr. A. Black, and they develop a close friendship. After meeting with a woman named Ruth in the Empire State Building, who has a history of her own with the building, Mr. Black ends his travels with Oscar, who struggles with his departure. He tries to visit Mr. Black again later, but finds out that he has moved house, presumably to be with Ruth, and is selling his apartment, leaving behind a card for Oscar reading Oscar Shell, son. Eight months after Oscar initially met Abby, he finds a message from her on the answering machine. Oscar had not touched that phone since his father died because his father's last words had been on an identical answering machine, which Oscar had kept hidden from his mother. Oscar finds out that Abby called him directly after his visit, saying that she was not completely honest with him and might be able to help. Oscar returns out to Abby's apartment after listening to the message, and Abby directs him to her ex-husband, William Black. When Oscar talks to William, he learns that the key once belonged to William's father. In his will, William's father left William a key to a safe deposit box, but William had already sold the vase of the estate sale to Thomas Shell. Then Oscar tells William something that he, quote, never told anyone. The story of the last answering machine message Oscar received from his father during the attack of 9-11. Disappointed that the key does not belong to him, Oscar then gives William the key and goes home angry and sad, not interested in the contents of the box. Oscar also discovers that his mother knew about his activities the entire time and was contacting everyone with the name Black in New York City. After the first few visits, she called every black that he would meet and informed them that Oscar was going to visit and why. In response, the people Oscar met knew ahead of time why he was coming and usually treated him in a friendly manner. Resolving to try to move on from his father's death, Oscar bonds with Ron after finding out that he met his mother at a support group after having lost his wife and daughter in a car accident. On the second anniversary of his father's death, Oscar meets with, quote, the renter 
and they go to dig up his father's grave. Contemplating on what to put in the empty coffin, the renter decides to buy various letters that he has written to his unborn son. Shortly after returning home, Oscar reconciles with his mother and vows to become better and allow for her to find happiness again. And she tells him how Oscar's father lied to her in his last call, telling her that he was coming home to assure her not to worry over his death. Before going to bed, Oscar takes out his binder and proceeds to rearrange the pages in reverse in an attempt to relive the last few hours with his father and achieve closure. The novel has a parallel narrative that eventually converges with the main story. This narrative is portrayed through a series of letters written by Oscar's grandfather to Oscar's father, Thomas, and by Oscar's grandmother to Oscar himself. The letters written by Oscar's grandfather explain his past in World War II, his first love, and his marriage to Oscar's grandmother. The letters written by Oscar's grandmother explain her past in meeting Oscar's grandfather, the trouble in their relationship, and how important Oscar is to her. Upon learning of his son's death, Oscar's grandfather promptly returns to New York and tracks down Oscar and his grandmother. His grandmother decides to let him live with her in her apartment temporarily, which results in them becoming intimate, and he watches over Oscar from afar before meeting him. Shortly after burying the letters with Oscar, his grandfather returns to the airport where his, Oscar's grandmother follows him. After discussing the war, losing their loved ones, and their marriage, they decide to stay in the airport for a while. The final pages of the book are a flipbook-style animation of a photograph of a man falling from the World Trade Center. The animation makes the man appear to fall upwards. And I do have to add two details to that subplot. One really important thing, Oster's grandfather is mute to the point where he carries around a pen and paper and will quickly write things or he will flip to common phrases and he has the words yes and no tattooed on the palms of his hands. The other one is I believe his first love was the grandmother's sister, Anna, mm -hmm. if I was following that correctly. And they endured the tragedy because I think Anna was killed in the firebombing of Dresden in the closing days of World War II, if I'm if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, because I that was left out of the Wikipedia summary. So, all right, so we're going to get into our discussion in a minute, but first I was asked the question, Stella, did you like this? Tom, I really don't know. I really don't know. This was, I can't remember what I said to you. Uh, um. It was something like we finally gotten to this point because you've had that moment uh -huh. of like, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this. I mean, it might have been Mango Street. It might have been. Oh, it was also like just confusing, especially because the letters in the beginning were using Thomas and Oscar mm -hmm. and not realizing that Thomas was also the grandfather. It was just like there's so much going on. And whenever Oscar was writing i guess i'll say it was like one it felt like one big long wrong mm -hmm. sentence and then there's the fact that i didn't really care for oscar and it was really hard and i was trying to i mean there's a question on there yeah there are a couple moments specifically that i was like i really don't like this kid i really don't like him and there are times that like it's kind of funny you know he says jose <laughs> You know, like, no way. Yeah, yeah. Or certain phrases, like, they're, you know, it's pretty cute. But then other things that he does, his constant lying, um, 
those moments he has of like, I did this, but actually, no, I didn't do that. Um, makes him seem like a really terrible person. And then I'm like, well, he is a kid and also he has experienced a trauma Mm -hmm. going through grief. So I should be empathetic. So I don't know. I will say at the very least that it was a really unique and clever novel in how it is, um, done Mm -hmm. with, uh, the characters, whether or not I completely agree with everything, um, and whether it's successful is another thing, but I think it is really unique. But I, I don't know. I'm like 50-50. So for the first time ever, I really can't answer. There are times that I was like, well, you know, I am, I'm kind of engaged here, so maybe. And other times it's like, oh man, <laughs> I just want this to be over with. So I don't know. 50-50, yes and no. Okay. Uh, we'll get to the character thing. It's like our first two questions. Yeah. But before we do. There is a good novel in here about a son discovering things about a father that he sort of knew because the son is young. There is a good novel in here about dealing and processing with grief, the relationship of the person who is left behind, which is your mother. However, the author of this novel is so in love with himself and so in love with his own style and his own shtick and his own gimmicks that that good novel only shines through every once in a while. And what we have is utterly pretentious. And it like, it it didn't make me angry, but I was like, I felt like you needed to cut a lot of this and take the core with the search for the key and everything. Cause like, I liked that. That was the, the, the whole idea of the search for the key and what he's going to find and all that. That's what kept me going through this entire novel. Cause I was mm-hmm. really curious too. I was like, Oh, I wonder what this is. And the ending, we'll get to the ending too. By the ending, I was like, I felt that there was actually felt a certain, like I had a reaction. So that was my engagement, but there's all this other crap. And I'm like, what is this? It's like, you are so in love with your own voice and you were, and like, I don't, and, and, and so I don't know how much research he did and how much effort he took to make this sound genuine for the voice of a child or, or, or anything like that. Or if he decided he already knew these things because, you know, he is a capital W writer. So I'm kind of with you. you. Yeah, that were like yeah. Happening I understood out. what was going on. Yeah, but I'm kind of with you. Where I was just like, the hell. It got better with understanding mm-hmm. once you figured out who was writing which let set of letters. Yeah, but in the beginning, it's like really hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I happened upon discrepancies, especially in regards to Anna and the grandmother, whose name I don't actually know, um, their father, because at one point it said that he survived the bombing, but he killed himself. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you find out that he didn't. He died in the building, in the house. Yeah. So and with the, so I was like really confused, like whose story is right? I don't know. Oh, but but, 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 but the writer ex- will tell you reliability. The, of the yeah. Well, do you think that was a narrator issue or did he forget his own what he was I, saying about I, the... I, you know what I'm going to say I'm going to say it's the latter but he'll tell you it's the former okay I'm sorry so before we go on simple. though could you just explain to me like how can you tell 
that the writer um, is enamored with himself? There's my first question. And then what parts would you have excised that you said, like, it's too much? There was too much stuff here. The 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 voice of the main character seems very i don't know if it's gimmicky or what it's like he 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 really really liked what he was doing there mm-hmm. and then with all of the visual stuff um and the and the and then like the playing like at one point with the with the father the, with the grandfather writing and writing and writing to the point where it fills up the page and this is supposed it was just like I have this idea that I think is really cool or is going to win me points and and I don't know if anybody if if anybody if he if anybody tried to tell him like hey you might want to you might want to rein this in a little bit or. Or what? It's just I don't know. It just came off as like <sighs> it came. It all came off as like trying too hard, or really, really thinking, or really buying into like what the praise you got for the previous novel, or what. And I know I'm being really snarky, and I know I'm being really insensitive toward this person whom I don't even know. You know, when I realized I didn't go to Princeton, <laughs> but. Um, and I don't have those types of brains, but at the same time, I'm just like, I don't know. It just, I can, it just, I read it and it just drips with self-satisfaction. And I realized I probably didn't answer your question. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was just trying to, I, I recently read it. I can't even remember what the book is called now, um, but people were really in love with it. They might still be. It was a recent one. And I felt like it was pretentious because this man, I mean, I don't know every word under the sun, uh-huh. but this author was using like these really mm-hmm. obscure words that I felt like there was no need to use is that I was having to go on the internet to look up. Mm-hmm. And I thought there's absolutely no reason why you need to use like this one particular word that was like meant for a very specific situation with wind on a beach. And it was like, not that situation. Yeah. So I totally could see that, but I'm like trying to, trying to work out what you're, yeah, uh, what you, because I don't disagree with you. I was just trying to get like yeah, a better sense it just, it, of what you're saying. It's, it's almost like I can't articulate it, but I just, it, it felt like that. And I, mm-hmm. does that make sense to you? Like, like you're reading and you can feel that in a way like this. And only in, um, Oscars parts. No, did you feel that with grandma and, uh, Thomas, Thomas senior, uh, with, with Thomas Sr., I definitely felt that. Okay. I felt that he thought he had a really great idea for a way to narrate that, um, you know, kind of that some professor or high school English teacher is going to be like, oh, look at this. This is so genius. It, it really smacks of that. The grandmother's narration I actually felt was one of the more honest parts because it was more the more straightforward parts too. Um, I, I felt that the grandmother was one of the more likable characters in the book because I think she was very, she was protective of Oscar and she was also very much a friend of Oscar and, um, and, and played her own cards very close to the vest, so to speak, it, mm-hmm. because, you know, and, and, and so there's the reveal toward the end but I thought that worked for me, at least her part. But at the same time, I was wondering 
why it was necessary for the plot of the grandfather leaving the grandmother after she found out he found out she was pregnant and why was what aside from a gimmick in storytelling why have this character be mute like it's just there's certain things in the book like it they're there because i think yeah. he wanted them there he thought they were great but i don't see why that's so important i mean for me those those things added to my bafflement yeah. just because you feel like they're writing a bunch of stuff to each other and actually they're not yeah. they're all blank pages yeah and then just like for the grandmother to to be with this man who never really loved you maybe at the end because that very distinct scene that's like we made love for the first time which really actually confused me we can talk about that off air if you want um but like he was always comparing her and trying to make her into be anna and i thought woman you need to leave this man behind so no, that's a, that, yeah i don't know that's a good that's a good point <laughs> but we, we, we've said that that's a that's a trope we, we've seen that where like you know the the, the the man or the woman pine the the, mm-hmm. the they pine for a for a love that is no longer there and they're settling on in some degree with that with the current love you know um, and sometimes the ghost of the former love figuratively haunts the big house <sighs> and uh, and the maid is evil and <laughs> The but, maid but Rebecca is, evil. is a much you, better Rebecca. novel than this. Yeah, I saw what you're doing <laughs> yeah. there. But no, I just yeah. So let's get to the characters. Let's yeah. Let's, let's do I, it. you know I, I'm not trying to. I, I'm really I'm not trying to come off as like one of those pissy, like you know I don't get this type of thing. But so let's get to the characters and we can we can really mm-hmm. really get into this. Um, so the first two questions we have is one has to do with the, the the thing you were you were talking about a little bit already, that the narrator is unreliable and unsympathetic. And then the other one was the, this was actually the first question I wrote like right away, and then I um, added the others almost immediately. And maybe it's just because we just read the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, mm-hmm. but almost immediately I thought this was another character who was on the spectrum because of the way yep. the narration goes. But there's no indicator aside from the fact that he's clearly suffering from mental trauma based because of what his, you know, because of his father's death, depression, um, self-harm, uh, and other things. There's no indication that he is on the spectrum. He's just precocious, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, what, I mean, I, I don't find him very sympathetic either. Reliability. I actually find him to be reliable, and the, the funny enough, the lying makes him reliable because yeah. he ad- he's admitting he admits it. to it, and he actually feels some sort of remorse for it. But he knows he has mm-hmm. to do it. He there's a little bit of a development there. Um, so I know that he is trying to tell us, the reader, his version of the truth. So. He is not the unreliable narrator that's trying to deliberately like uh, obfuscate everything, but he's he's kind of annoying. I would agree. Um, 
I know it's a fictional character. I, I feel a little bit dirty doing it, but I feel like he has to be on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. There's a line, and I've hung out with plenty of kids, children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you have one of your mm-hmm. own. And there is, I mean, with the formatting of his particular sections, I could totally see, like, someone rambling on and telling stories and things. But the way he does it is almost pretty meticulous in how, like, all these details that he remembers and certain cues and things. Um, So I just feel like it's, it's not what you would expect a uh, an it's a sensitive way of saying basically someone not on the spectrum. I I don't I don't uh, yeah. I don't see that at all. Um, the- I agree with you. The line, even though it annoys me, that is a way to to make him seem reliable. Mm-hmm. The shocking moments. I, I think the maybe the moments that make you pull back and like oh gosh is he reliable are those moments like on the stage when he's all of a sudden like verbally accosting that bully and you're like what's happening and then it seems like he's killing him with the skull like his paper mache yeah. mask yes yeah, so yeah and you realize oh that actually didn't happen or when his neighbor upstairs is saying goodbye to him and he says, like, he wishes he had or he actually envisioned whispering because this was the guy, of course, he turned on his hearing aid, whispering F you to him. And I'm like, you're a terrible human being. Um, but he actually didn't really do that. So those were also the moments because it, it just seamlessly goes into them that it, you really feel like this is horrible. What's going yeah. on? And then it pulls back. But that doesn't lend any toward any kind of care for me to him yeah. about that. I, I think one of the worst moments for him was when he was having that discussion with his mother, which went many different places. I'm pretty sure the same one he said, you're not allowed to fall in love again, which was entirely unfair. And then he's at the very end. He said, if I were given a choice, I would have chosen you. And again, okay, it's a kid. And there's grief involved, but I just thought this is you've completely lost me. She do not recognize she's also going through this traumatic event here. So, yeah, it was really hard um, for me to to be on board with this kid. The the adventure itself was super. I mean, that was pretty cool. And and yes, I did compare him. Is this the same question? Compare him with Christopher. Mm-hmm. But I like Christopher. Yeah. I like Christopher. I feel like Christopher has honor. He's very rigid in his sense of honor. But the fact that he doesn't lie and he takes people at their word like that, I think there's something special about that. And he has an adventure, too. So, yeah, I was completely comparing him to Christopher, but I prefer Christopher to Oscar. So yeah. this kid just seems like... He's got it's his way or the highway. Um, if if, you know, he wants to do something. And if someone like, for instance, he's going out on all these little travels on the weekends yeah. and he wants to be able to do that. But then he's also questioning why his mother doesn't care enough to ask where he's going. So there's like some weird stuff going yeah. on. Um, and it's hard. It's just hard, like nine years old. So I don't know where the line is that, oh, we need to give this character the benefit of the doubt because of the grief and his age, or we should just like hold him accountable 
as this character who's not living up to like human standards that he should be living up to. The, yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement with you here. Um, Christopher, to add to what you're talking about, Christopher, Christopher was also inadvertently funny, like. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, he would tell you that he doesn't have a sense of humor, but he is a funny character. And I'm not saying that in a way of like, let's make fun of the the the, uh, the autistic kid. Like, he's generally a written very funny, and he's charming. This kid, like, yeah, he's precocious, and it, there's a difference, you know. And he thinks he's funny, and he thinks mm-hmm. he's clever. And um, there are a couple of moments, the couple of moments that you mentioned, the one where he says you're not allowed to fall in love again, that felt, you know what, I don't know, I, see, I, don't, I can't speak from experience, because I've never been through anything like this. I think it was meant to feel real, I could see that happening, but it's almost, that and the other thing he says about it, which was to his dad, like, I'm sorry, that's right out of some really bad tv show that's like it, it, it doesn't it, it's cliche it's supposed to be a moment and yet and i guess cliches exist for a reason but it's like come on you know and so um yeah and he's not again it's not he hasn't earned a lot for from us mm-hmm. i, I the, the whole thing of hearing in his head where i was going to say f you blah 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 that I actually I actually like because I think that somebody who is showing a little more self-awareness, it, it might have been clunky in the execution, but I can totally see the – I have enough self-awareness not to say that to you even though I'm frustrated on the inside. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that part of inner conflict, I get. So that to me was fine. But um, but yeah, there's a lot in here, and 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 I'm like there, and the thing, and the, you know, the other thing that's frustrating about this is that, and and this gets into the next question. I, I grabbed this from the author bio. You know, they asked him about writing a novel in a child's voice. Children are not easy to write. You know, mm-hmm. we all remember oh, we were a child or whatever. But like, as one of the criticisms is though we have a nine year old who has a 28 year old voice of the author. Like, you know, we don't have a nine year old here. We have a 28 year old and a nine year old's body. And I kind of agree with that because we forget what it's like to be nine emotionally or mentally. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's not the voice of a child exactly, adding that in order to create this thing that feels most real, it's usually not by actually giving the most accurate presentation of it. So my question was, how does that help and hinder the novel? <laughs> that he's knowingly not giving an <sighs> accurate. Um, yeah. uh, it hinders it because we're we're going in under the presumption <laughs> that we're about to read a novel from the point of view of a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. So if we, if the author has told us that that's what, well, if the book jacket has told us that that's what it is and the author has basically said, well, kind of, sort of, then that's, that's a feeling right there. The, the positive thing is that this could be given the tragic events of 9-11, this could be anybody's story. Mm -hmm. 
And it probably is several people's story, people who um, lost family members who maybe had a connection, like a cell phone connection or something, didn't get to say last words of I love you or didn't pick up for whatever reason and were guilt ridden. And so now they're, you know, looking for them. So that's like a positive thing that maybe we can put ourselves or, you know, a survivor could put themselves in that place and have that P of you, but only barely, (laughs) only barely, I would say the experience and not necessarily like the personality, hopefully. Yeah. That when I read that quote, and I think I've read that quote like out loud twice now and, and on paper here four or five times, um, I feel like I'm being talked down to when he's explaining Mm. it like that. Like, oh, you should have gotten this. Like, again, I just, I can't, I, I know, I you know, know. I You got it out for this guy because past, of his Princeton background. No, I just, I can't get past by how pretentious this is. It's, 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 it, it mm. is, you know, and, and I've, we've both read high-minded literary fiction, right? Sure, yeah. And we've read really good, you know, high-minded literary fiction. But it's just mm-hmm. like this, again, it's, it's like, oh, man, like. You really, if the people, nobody's told you, you aren't good. And the thing is, this is maybe this is me who's read by now quite a bit of YA and and other genres or part, you know, categories, so to speak. If he made Oscar a teenager, I think this would have worked better. Like, what if Oscar was 16? Granted, it would give us Holden Caulfield comparisons, and that's maybe what he didn't want to go for. But mm-hmm. I just get like the 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 believability of a lot of this, and the the and the sympathy you have for the kid and everything. Like because the kid's not a because it's not the voice of a child exactly. Does that contributes to you not liking the kid? And if you had the kid be 15, 16 years old, where you have a lot of that inner turmoil and outer turmoil, teenagers being a raw nerve half the time, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to go full Holden. But I think it would have worked better because it would have just been a, it would have those this uneasiness we have with this narrator might have ebbed a little bit. We might not have liked the narrator anyway. But it would have made a little more sense to us, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, that entire time you were talking, though, I was just thinking that it's unfortunate that Holden Caulfield seems to be like this. It's it's like this litmus test of yeah. like the spectrum of characters, and he seems to be at the end. I feel like he's getting a bad rap. I know that not everyone likes oh, I know. him, it's... but to, but to be the character that everyone compares him to is a bit unfair. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, no, that would be that would be interesting. I feel like there'd be a level of well, I wonder if you don't like the pretentious writing now, are you gonna like it with a sixteen year old? I don't know. But at least there would be a level potentially of maturity, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially emotional maturity, because maybe he could have better conversations with his mother because that's really hard to get past is that they never really their relationship seems so superficial yeah. 
And you can tell how much she cares from him for for him with all the little things she does. Like, do you want me to read to you? Do you want to look for mistakes in the newspaper? But he's like not having it and just constantly criticizes her about Roy. And yeah, it's a bad look with Roy. I think that's his name or Ron. Ron. Was it Ron? Ron. Okay, Ron. With Ron being there, but I'm like, there's got to be something else. Like the you know the mom. There's got to be some reason, even though, um. Uh, Oscar said that he doesn't believe his mom because she lied to him, which I can't remember what the big lie was now. But then at the very end, you realize what happened to Ron. You know, like there are these, there are three people in this household that are dealing with tragedies. And, you know, one of them is just pushing everybody away. So to have a 16 year old, I think there would be some added angst, Mm -hmm. but it would be interesting to have some serious conversations with with the three of them, especially with the mother, I think she got a a bad a bad portrayal here because of Oscar. Well, the mother really isn't much of a character either when you think about no. it, because like we get the grandfather's voice, we get the grandmother's voice, we get his voice, and mom's just this pain in the butt that's in the way for him. And then we find out at the end all these things she's been doing, and it's kind of cheap. Not what she's been doing, but the whole like no, she, her, the mother has no the yeah the mother end. suddenly the mother has a character, and you're like, yeah. and and the way it is portrayed, you want to do this and that. It's again, it's cliche. It's like I mean, I'm sure that's what you would say to a child to to comfort him, but it's like, did you spend any time with anybody for this? Did you explore what it's like to grieve a husband who's been lost in a huge tragedy like this? I mean. It doesn't seem to me very plausible that he would have all this kept, for, that she would try to keep things from him at that age. Maybe if he was five or six, you know, because mm-hmm. to explain the fact that your father died to a five-year-old and then to explain what you're going through i would imagine that's much harder than to a kid who's like nine or ten not that they're that much emotion they're a little more emotionally mature they can probably handle things a little bit more and i think he he misses he misses here you know think you Mm. think she would and you'd think that this taking place a year or two after 9-11. So the father's been dead for two years by the end of the book. So I think it's over this roughly over the span of a year. So it's roughly 2002 to 2003. There's not enough backstory with the mom except through what we see through Oscar. So I guess this is where some of the unreliability comes in, criticism Mm -hmm. comes in, because there's not enough where he sees that she's made an effort or whatever. So all we have to do is go by his evaluation of her as a character. And therefore mom coming in at the end like that, it's suddenly like, where did this come from? We're going to kind of get to that later, but yeah, it, it, it does bother me that the mom doesn't really have much of a character. I mean, let's put it this way in an insensitive way. If she had died, in 90, Christopher would not be looking for her. Not sorry, not Christopher. Oscar would not have looked for her. Like that's how much of a non-entity yeah. she is. And his his relationship was all around. Yeah. Yeah. 
around and, uh, his father. And his relationship with his father is, is done from a point of view of the sort of nostalgia one may have with somebody who has left. And that, I believe, you know, he's recalling a lot of very sweet, nice memories of his dad. And I totally can believe that's what he that's his image in his head. Because of, you know, what you what you perceive as your father when you're a young boy. Mm-hmm. So I'll give him that. And and so my my question, my next question does have to do because you mentioned 9-11 and, and how this could be a novel about you know, collective grief and everything like that. Does it does it need 9-11? Is it respectful toward the tragedy? Does it accomplish its mission of capturing the sense of collective grief through an individual? Ooh. I don't think so. But I don't know how I would fix it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the moments that I think were most poignant were really involving the mother and the grandmother. Mm-hmm. Their interactions when the grandmother was writing about it and how it was the first time the mother said, I love you. The first time she called her mom, like clearly there's something going on. And then just how frantic they were with um I think Oscar was overhearing how they were discussing and then <clears throat> the mom going out and putting up all those posters and things like that, like that totally, because I think that was a lot yeah. of people doing that running, you know, but not f- from, from Oscar's uh, perspective either. Partially. Um, I have to say that one section when he did a weird report in school was a bit too macabre for me. The Hir- Hiroshima, Hiroshima yeah. or Hiroshima, yeah. That section, I thought, why, why are you doing this? But the Dresden also, I think that was an interesting layer mm-hmm. just to have that connection and to see it through two different uh, viewpoints and how that. I mean, that was more, I think, effective than the nine eleven. Unfortunately, yeah. The what. <sighs> I was kind of confused as to what he was trying to do with the whole report about Hiroshima. Um, maybe it's too. I think it was like a weird show and tell. Yeah, science it was. Thing. It was like a weird show and tell science thing. And I guess it was to show us how like the depths of his depression that you, you know, that you focus on things that are that macabre. I don't think it landed. The, Is that why he keeps that book? I, I think oh. that's. Things that happened to him? I think so. Um, I think that it's connected to that. Um, I don't know if we're getting enough of an exploration of, of, you know, because he has the therapist, but he doesn't like the therapist and doesn't really talk to the therapist. And and I'm just reminded of the bruises he gives to his body, which is something that people on the spectrum do. Yeah, well, that's the thing, but he's never... I forgot about that. So he is, and then he's like, well, I'll get better at the end or something like that, obviously something regarding him in school is not right. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I missed a detail that I was supposed to get, but with all these things, it's like, so if he is on the spectrum, I would have appreciated having that actually said in the book. Um, It does not need to be the, I am Christopher, et cetera. And I, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, uh, the word autism, I don't think really shows this doesn't show up in Curious Incident, but we know t- there's got to be something here. And uh, yeah, it's, and I know we keep coming back to that with the Dresden thing. I thought that was very interesting, too. But do you think it works as a piece of connective tissue, these tragedies? Does he connect them enough to one another through the family members or is there a 
because uh, I feel like there's a certain separation between because they, they, they exist in the two different plots. And I think mm-hmm. it's supposed to all come together at the end where the grandfather shows up and, you know, they do the body and everything. But I don't mm-hmm. think that coalesces in the way that the author thinks it does. What do you think? <sighs> I I don't I, I I feel like there might be some success, if only because these two have lived through something like mm-hmm. this. And perhaps at that time, they thought this is probably as worse as it can get. It can't get as This is as worse mm-hmm. as it can get. This is as bad as it can yeah. get. And then, you know, this unfortunately happens again. And you don't... Well, I guess you do. With the grandmother, you know, uh, revisiting that mm-hmm. and then unfortunately having having lost her father, I guess. I, I don't ever know. <laughs> I don't know what was true about that. And her sister and that and now her her own son. Um, I feel like there's a good connection, but I can totally see w- what you're saying because you're in this narrative which is Oscars that's really tying everything together and then to move to these letters sort of throws you out of it because even the letters aren't very cohesive and they hop around as well so I can see what you're saying I think there might be I I felt like there was a a connection but perhaps not as as successful or as deep as it could have been yeah I get I got the whole idea of the empathy that comes through having been through something as horrific as as Dresden and then, and then experiencing nine 11. But yeah, I was just, I, I, it, it didn't feel, it felt that a lot was not said. Ha ha. Considering the grandfather can't speak, (laughs) but I feel like a lot was left on the table when we finally have this moment, it was that this was all supposed to be about the unspoken thing or whatever. And I'm like, why, why is the, why you've established that the grandfather has trouble communicating in ways physically and emotionally, but you don't have enough of a, you, we don't have enough of a relationship between him and Oscar for us to really have that work. I, I just, it, it, it all a lot of the things that that are the reveals in the novel happen too late for me. By the way, how quickly did you figure out that the renter was the grandfather? Um, I don't think very quickly. I was I figured something weird mm-hmm. was up, but I I I had no clue what was happening. <laughs> I figured it out around the time he and Oscar met for the first time, like when he introduced himself, like when Oscar went into the thing. Oh yes, um, and I was like, yeah. yeah. That, I, I mean, was that like, was basically oh, wait, the time, but the not before. No, not before, because he wasn't really in yeah. the novel. It was just kind of like, oh, the guy's out, and it's like, oh, she's subletting the room to somebody because she needs the money. That happens. Did you like the coordinating narrative? Was it necessary? Does it detract? Does it add to the novel? The, the grandparents. Can you just specify? Sorry, the with the grandfather, you mean the grandfather's narration. And the story with the grandmother, as it would, because it would, yeah. it would be going along, Oscar, 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 and now we're back with Thomas Senior. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so what do you, do you think that added, or do you think that detracted? 
I think it added, I, it certainly illuminated things for me because I could finally understand what the grandfather was doing because Oscar had already laid the groundwork. Uh, and it was interesting to get two different viewpoints on the same situation, you know, digging up the, the son, well, the son and the father's mm-hmm. grave. Um, did it add anything special? I don't, well, actually, I really enjoyed the grandfather's parts when you realize that he had been following him for so long. Yeah. Like that was really interesting. And so that moment where the neighbor from above had squeezed Oscar's hand or whatever. And Oscar asked, like, are you racist? Because I think someone had just boarded. It was actually because of that guy across on the other side of the subway and that, oh, that guy was my grandfather and other certain situations like that. I really liked the fact that he was there the entire time. And now we're getting caught up on on what that had happened on what had happened during and what was he doing? What about the fact that he leaves the wife when she's pregnant? No, (laughs) because like what if what if the father and the son, what if Thomas Sr. and Thomas Jr. had Thomas Jr. had grown up and then there was a there was a later point in time before Oscar was born that not only did Thomas's parents divorce, but he and his father became estranged. Like, what if we did that instead of you're pregnant? You said you weren't going to get pregnant. We agreed you weren't going to get pregnant. I'm leaving. Because yeah. that, to me, is unforgivable. <sighs> yeah, and the way you present it sounds so harsh. I do, I agree with you that that is something that I struggled with. The the fact that he went every day, basically, I think, to the um, the airport. Mm-hmm. The, I'm trying to work through that still, but I, I think a lot of it is tied to the fact that Anna was pregnant. And she died and so like there's i think a lot of unresolved guilt from that but yes i think it would have been better if i mean leaving is leaving there's abandonment the period but probably had he been there to to be had he been there as thomas had grown up it would have been a little better than never knowing his son and then his son came to visit him that one time and i don't think they talked about anything which it would have been one-sided talking anyways so no it, it doesn't show con- again you know this woman she just needs to kick this guy out of mm-hmm. there but yeah he just keeps saying what that he wants to live but he's afraid of living i can't remember yeah, what the quote is it's i get that he's not very good at communicating emotionally and like he never told her about Anna. Like he tells her years later, I believe about, but she already, yeah, knew. But she already knew, but like, yeah, yeah, the whole reason he didn't want a kid because Anna was pregnant and the tragedy and that, you know, the, 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 the way that affected him, et cetera. But it's like, yeah. I don't know. It's like that, that could be a, well, maybe it's not the plot point. Maybe it's the presentation for me that is just getting in the way of me like really thinking that's a really interesting point of the plot and wanting Mm -hmm. to explore it more, you know, because it's really hard to get past his narration. Both of the narrators in this book, it's really hard to get past the way this is written. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. 
there are some random things that were left out of the um, that were left out of the, uh, the the plot synopsis. We were talking about a couple of things. Um, Oscar's continuously sending letters to like Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, it's kind of cute, but yeah. what purpose do you think it serves in the book? I wasn't letter writing some sort of theme. Wasn't he told to do this? I, wasn't there a section that he was like told that he should write letters to people? Yes. And like just about everything else he does, he takes it to its <laughs> most annoying extreme. And I'm I know sure. that. Well, these are people he admires, yeah. so I can kind of see yeah. that. And it was interesting because he gets a lot. He talks about some of them, like um, the famous Jane Jane Goodall. Yeah, Jane Goodall. The um, uh, the the yeah so talks just... about what he wrote to her. But otherwise, with the Stephen Hawking ones, you just see the response. So it's really confusing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why do you keep repeating this section? And then you realize that he had been sending him different questions. And Stephen Hawking actually writes back, which yeah, is exciting. Yeah. Um, what is the purpose of this? I think it's just he's doing – I can't remember who told him to do mm-hmm. that, but to write to people. But uh, it might have been his grandmother. But, uh, yeah, he just takes it to a different degree, and I think he writes to people that he has commonality with. And it does it does tie into the to his grandfather's letter writing in himself. So there's a mirror yeah. there. Uh, yeah. At, at least Christopher's putting actual words down. I'm very confused about that because a mute person still has the power of language. If only in writings, I just don't understand. I don't understand about the grandmother and her crummy eyes that aren't really crummy and, and that she's not writing things down. It's so bizarre. Yeah. And there's a question about whether or not this is supposed to be all magical realism in some way or another, or like a fable of some way or another. Like this isn't supposed. Oh, I know it's here. It's the reveal at the end. Um, is this a way to help with the audience's suspension of disbelief? Um, I want to table that for in a moment, but because um, I want to get to the to the plot with the key. But is the book a work of realism? Like, is is all this uh, his eyes, the, the letters, and all that? Is that supposed to be? Well, this is this book isn't supposed to be straightforward, realistic, and. It's more of a magical realism, and we just have to believe it. Does it come off as that? I mean, you know I'm going to say no. But. Yeah, I, I don't think yeah. so. I mean, when I think of magical realism, I think of Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you've seen that. Um, but there, you feel like this girl is just creating this world Mm -hmm. to get out of you know the current civil war but then actually like little pieces of that world are popping up inside Mm -hmm. reality so you're like whoa what is real what is not that's what i consider magical realism where you can't tell um yeah yeah. yeah? or um like uh, gabriel garcia marquez yeah or or even more like yan martel's life of pi oh yeah see yeah this is not that no I think it's it's meant to be realism. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be something that anyone could go through at all. And it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I'll just stop yeah. there. Um, so I, one of the few things I, the things I liked about the book was, was the plot with the key and, the, and searching out all the people. 
Um, it is the type of little mystery that a kid would want to undertake. You know? Um, it's mm-hmm. very, it's, it's the type of mystery that a kid can handle. You know, it's a very straightforward type of thing. Um, you know, uh, and, and he, he wants to be like, there's an amateur sleuth in here. And that's where one of the few times where he is endearing. I think we kind of answered why he keeps this from his mother when we were talking about how much he disdain he shows for his mother throughout the book. Um, you know, uh, but. Well, I imagine, I don't know if we did, but my, my assumption is he's doing it because of the fact that there were five phone calls from his father and he did not pick up. And so it would lead to that. That's what I, is that what you assume is the reason why he's not talking about this key? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I understand the total guilt that he feels throughout the novel with the, I'm not picking. I didn't pick up the phone when my dad called. Mm-hmm. Type of thing. So the the whole thing, it it becomes this thing in his head, and the at the end of it, um, kind of back to the question I was just asking, we're revealed that it's uh, that the 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 thing, the MacGuffin, oh, MacGuffin. is the is the lock, uh, and the mm-hmm. reveal. It's not that exciting. So is this one of those novels with MacGuffin in the plot? Really, um, does this really supposed to matter? Are we are we supposed to be more enamored of the characters? What did you think of the ending with what the key actually unlocked? Oh, I liked it because it was the end of a mystery. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if we would ever get there because there were. 16 million uh-huh. walks to get through and so many blacks. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was nice to get through. Was it anticlimactic? Yes, but I think that was intentional because it was certainly anticlimactic for Oscar. Mm-hmm. But it was connected to the theme of fathers and sons and love and, and showing that or saying it, whatever that means, because that that key was crucial in the relationship between that ex-husband and his father and then also the broken relationship between the ex-husband and the ex-wife which he's clearly not over her since he has pictures all over his desk of her so it is anticlimactic but i think that's the purpose i liked it um it was the thing that i think motivated me i think i you would agree Mm -hmm. motivated me to keep going like where is this going to end up so in that way because it's that one thing that's keeping you going you are almost disappointed that you spent 400 pages waiting for something i mean you know what's it i honestly thought oh gosh what if his father's not dead because especially with those introductory letters Mm -hmm. that thomas was writing from an airport i'm like oh my gosh thomas isn't dead where's this key gonna go but then i quickly realized who the actual thomas was so uh, did i answer the question did and i I was glad i was actually glad that it was anticlimactic that it didn't unlock anything illicit illicit yeah and and i know we're running and it didn't unlock any actual treasure for him I think what bothered me, though, was his reaction of being angry that it wasn't all about him and that he mm. didn't. And because I think Mr. Black, William Black, 
essentially invited him, like, hey, come along, we'll, we'll open this thing up. And he was like, no. Yeah. And I don't think that shows the character growth that you need from a novel at that point. Like, he's met all these different people. Some of them have been a kind of a moment, but, like, you know, he he has seen what relationships are. He's seen what companionship is. He kind of found a father figure in his upstairs neighbor or a grandfatherly mm-hmm. figure in his upstairs neighbor. And none of this registers for him. And you'd think that at that point, something would have registered. You know? Like, you think he would have... Does it matter at all? I Sorry. mean, I, I know he goes with the grandfather to dig up the father's grave. Yeah. So I guess that's the moment. But it bugged me that he was so, like... I'm so angry that it's not about me, you know? Mm. Does it matter at all to you or does it change your opinion at all that he let that man go on with his story? Like he didn't want to hear it, but he's like, no, make your story long because the man's like, let me just cut this short, get to the chase. He's like, no, make it long. We have time for it. Does that matter? Was that just his inquisitive mind or is that maybe showing some empathy? Like, hey, this guy needs to tell his whole story. Do you see anything there? I think I see a little bit of that there, yeah. And I think he does take an interest in the story. Is he doing that for himself or or the guy, or is he just doing that for the reader? Like, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think I think you're on to something, but I, but I don't think he is... I still would have liked to see him a little more dynamic by that point in the book. I, I don't mm-hmm. think he's I don't think I think that if you are going to start a character off the way you did with him, where we both neither of us really liked him. You've got to make us on some level like him by the end of the novel. If he were a fully grown adult, I think that would that we wouldn't have to like him by the end of the novel because he is a child. Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. I know this is a weird double standard because Victor Frankenstein is a, is a protagonist, so I always hold up the example of a character you don't like yet you're interested in and you want to see what happens to him, right? Yeah. But this Victor Frankenstein is not a nine-year-old child. <laughs> you want to like the kid. And mm. you never really do. I feel bad for him. Especially as we get toward the end. But sympathy and like liking it's a terrible way of putting it are not the same thing yeah but I was I, I did like the fact that I don't know something really satisfied me with it, the fact that that it was just it was, it was such an ordinary ending like to the to the box quest right it was just like the lock quest it was just kind of like yeah of course it does that felt realistic actually funny enough right it's just an mm-hmm. ordinary safe deposit box key. Yeah, and it didn't even belong to you. It's just yeah. total coincidence. Yeah, it's totally one of those weird things. I was like, yeah, I could, yeah, I, I can get that. But what about the reveal about the mother? So we talked about the mother earlier. I mean, the question I have was that you know, at the end of the novel, we find out that Oscar's mom essentially helped set all this up, in a way, or she ran inter, you know, she ran interference. 
right? Because you have a nine. Again, this is one of those. This is one of those things. He is nine years old, and he's walking to Queen. Like he's all over the city, and he's getting on the subway, even though he's scared of it, and all this other stuff. Um, is the reveal at the end of the novel that Oscar's mom knew what was going on in the entire time? a way to help with our suspension of disbelief as an audience. Like, in other words, is it put there so that we can understand, we can go, oh, oh, that's, it's okay now because we were worried about the child being endangered. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that suspension of disbelief or almost like we unintentionally were judging the mother as oscar and now we've granted her redemption which i think is completely unfair because that woman she doesn't need redemption because she was doing a fine job he he gives her like no agency through the entire novel up until the end there no i don't know how sandra bullock did it i considered watching the film i was like nah i can't handle two hours of it (laughs) no yeah i was just kind of like if the mother had been a better written character through the first three quarters of the novel I think I would have, uh, you know, I think I actually would have improved the novel, you know? Yeah. I know a, we, a widow is cliche, but it's just, it, that would have been an interesting, that would have been an interesting juxtaposition to really see her grief and his grief and how they weren't communicating and how they were disconnecting. Because then I could believe why he is so pissy in her direction. And why he is so depressed and, and maybe and, and if I got a little more of her struggle aside from what was on the edges of his narration, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm saying that understanding that he's the main one of the main protagonists, but the th- same at the same time, he has two other characters narrate portions of this novel. If Oscar was the only narrator through the whole thing, like Christopher is in, uh, curious incident then i would be like oh i don't you know there would be nowhere to fit that in but there was room to fit that in here and and i think that was yeah by the way alas do you think there's some sexism going on um no i'm not going to accuse him of being sexist i think he just has an underdeveloped character that he I mean, the women overall aren't really treated no, very well. No, they're not. Stuff. I don't think. I don't know. I, I think that it might be a little chauvinistic, and that like you know, he's he's way more okay. enamored of his male characters because he's a you know, etc. He just can't write women. I don't think he's being a misogynist or anything like that, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, this is just an aside. There was a question, and and I really don't really need to answer. But what nine year old is in Hamlet? Like. I, <laughs> They're in in the um, unabridged, or sorry, the abridged children's version ah, of him. He's Hamlet. playing Yorick, the skull, <laughs> and he gets into the fight on stage, which is a bizarre moment. And again, we don't know if, if aside from the things like depression, anxiety, and, and, and self-harm, we don't know what the emotional issue is if it's if it's a deeper emotional or 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 cognitive or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so that was just very very weird yeah that was a moment where i could totally see christopher being Mm -hmm. in that situation that he was you know convinced oh you could be york well what's you know so special about that oh it's a really special one 
Yeah. There's two lines of questioning I've got here, and then we'll be done. The last one that we'll do, the latter, will be just one more time around the whole the themes of the novel, especially the theme of love and speaking it, um, and uh, fathers and sons, and the theme of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I would like to go to the more stylistic things and the literal images. Uh, you go through this book, there's a number of images. You've got... Um, one of the one of the bigger ones is the falling man, and the falling man. Just a little bit of historical uh-huh. context here. This is actually a picture. Um, this appeared in the newspaper uh, on September twelfth, two thousand one, and um, there is a outstanding Esquire article from two thousand three, and there was a documentary of a similar vein um, written about journalists' effort to identify who the person in the photograph is. It's very very. You can there's a there's a Wikipedia page for it, and I will link to that in the show notes. Um, It is somebody, there were many people who jumped from the towers who were trapped above the hole in the towers and they took their lives into their own hands. Um, Did you, I knew a lot about that before I read this book. Did you? I I don't, I feel like, yeah, I probably Mm -hmm. have, but I may have forgotten it. One of my favorite museums, which unfortunately went under financially, is the New Museum in D.C. I love that place. And one of the – they do switch out different um, exhibits. But one of them that usually was a mainstay was the, like, um, the Times covers, like the best of the Mm -hmm. year. Um, And one of them – there was, like, a Chicago fire, I think – somewhere and i remember seeing that and people jumping Mm -hmm. off of fire escapes and things like that so i can imagine it happening i don't specifically remember i'm sure i mean i was in high school when all of this happened so i'm sure there were images of of people falling out you know my initial is like why would you do that but on the flip side i'm like i you know that probably would be honestly the better way than the burning and the the smoke inhalation. So I totally get it. Uh, the very disturbing mm-hmm. aspect to add to this book. I have to say. Well, it, it, that's the other thing, and and because because I yeah. knew quite a bit about the. I read that as the like I said there was a piece in Esquire back in two thousand three, and I would link directly to the article, but it's by behind a paywall now. Um and um, it is all it's kind of annoying, but uh. But the the they started to the people the journalists who were trying to track them down, trying to track down who this person was, like narrowed it down to two or two or three different families, and one of the families, a very very devout Catholic Latinx family, um, was like abhorred by the idea that this could be their father, you know, because you know Catholicism suicide is a is a cardinal sin. And, um, you know, so and, and so the the idea of suicide in that article comes up and what we think about it and also what we think about images like that, because how much can we process individual death on that level as opposed to the umpteenth loop of a plane hitting the tower? You know, like what can we process and what can we not? What were we more affected by and what are we? It's a really good exploration. Um, I I think that there's enough context given that you don't need to know everything about 9/11 in order to read this novel. Um, 
I question its use in the book. I feel like I get what he's going for, but I kind of wonder if he's using the image of the falling man as a prop. And I don't know how I feel about that. I, yeah, I, I frankly didn't like it. I thought it was overly macabre. Mm. Um, I mean, we were told all sorts of things that Christopher, uh, <laughs> that, uh, so sorry. Uh that Oscar knows about like decapitations and has pictures of and his things that happened to me, which I don't know why that book is called that. So we're not shown any of that, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But why would you take this one image? And yes, I understand it is most relevant to the subject matter, but it is, it is too much. It is really too much because we're shown it mm-hmm. twice and and the second time is meant to be hopeful, but you're all you're yes, you're watching a man float up to the sky. So, you know, there's a the hope. But I'm also looking at a man in midair that has just jumped out of the building. And my I don't know if, about you, but my mind cannot separate from that. And I don't want to shy away from hard things. I think you and I have had discussions about yeah. that, you know, in particular like racism and sexual assault yeah. and things like that. I don't want to like look away, but also once was enough and that was, it was too much. <laughs> so I didn't care for it at all, really. Yeah. And it's, uh, the, the, the if, if you were to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you go to this picture now, but if, if you do go to see that picture, the one that became very, very famous, there is an artistic composition about it in that the way the man is falling in the towers, he's between the towers and stuff. There is a, an ironic sort of beauty to it. Totally by chance, by the way, it was taken by an Associated Press journalist who just was taking pictures, taking pictures, noticed people falling and just kept taking pictures. Like, and it was interviewed in that article. He basically went into this sort of robotic journalism mode, like, you know, I'm going to cover. So he wasn't thinking, you know, he's like, I'll develop these later. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, I've got to line up the shot. I'm going to get this wonderful shot. And it's like, no, boom, yeah. boom, 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 you know, on a digital camera though, where you can just press the button and it'll take five pictures at once. So, you know, it was, it was unintentional, um, art in the sense, but I'm, I'm flipping through mm-hmm. it and I'm seeing, I see it. Um, this one is a little bit more like, um, a little less uh, directed, kind of like a floating in the air type of thing. But yeah, I, I was kind of like with you. I'm like, I know it's supposed to be hopeful, but it's just, <sighs> I get it. And I'm not offended. But at the same time, it bugs me. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. That's that was well phrased. No, let's. I didn't like throw the book no, across the no, room and no. <laughs> like I've had enough. I just yeah. I didn't need to see it. What about the other images? There's a lot of different like pictures and things he puts in here. Some of them are direct mm-hmm. directly relate in some way or another to um, something on the thing. Like we have pictures of a bunch of keys. We have uh, I'm flipping through it right now. We have gemstones and what looks like an Altoids tin. Um, we have one of, I think that's Lawrence Olivier holding the skull as Hamlet. We have one of Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. Um, there are fingerprints, um, like a National Geographic picture of a couple of cavemen. Um, we have 
the back of somebody's head with a, um, you know, with a braid or whatever, I guess, to kind of give us visual representation of things. Necessary, unnecessary, what's your feeling about all of I it? think, yeah, I, I would say in between, I don't know if I could absolutely say necessary it works thematically especially since oscar has his grandfather's Mm -hmm. camera and the what messes with me is that i don't know that all those images are from christopher like the doorknobs are clearly from his grandfather so i don't know why they're mixed in so i i guess i wish four four mm-hmm. would have made <laughs> a decision and just had all of Christopher's or not. But some of them I think were really interesting. Like he wanted to take up. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that. That woman that he wanted to kiss. Oh, and yeah. she considered it. I was like, what is going on? And then later on when he came back and she said, I'll kiss you now. I thought, what is happening? Anyway, sorry. That was a, that was a, a weird train thingy, whatever those are called, a tangent. When he asked to take her picture, and like there was only one picture that she would allow. I thought that was like really interesting that she would just allow it of it was basically like the back mm-hmm. of her head. You know what does that mean about her? So there are some interesting <clears throat> things, but um, yeah, why there's a mixture between his grandfather's images and his i don't know and then yeah they do pop up in weird times so not all of them pop up after he's talked about it some of them i specifically the doorknobs those just kind of appear whenever so i think it's betwixt (laughs) necessary and unnecessary and sometimes they work really well and sometimes i'm like huh why are you here yeah it I'm with you because sometimes I'm like, oh, I can see that. Like I'm, I'm flipping through it, and there's the there's the whole thing with all the different words and names written on the um, on the board of the the pages of the art store um, when he's trying to figure out what pen was used to write down the name of the person, you know, whatever. Where he first finds the key, um, there's points later on in the letter uh, around two page two hundred eight here where like there's a letter. Uh, it's called Why I'm Not Where You Are, 41278, and all these words are circled, et cetera, oh, okay. et cetera, and where he's explaining leaving the mother, uh, not leaving the mother, leaving the grandmother, and stuff like that. So some of it works, but yeah, then there's other parts of it where, I'm, where I was wondering if it was just kind of a, a gimmick, you know? Mm. And, and then see yeah. the... If you, took the, if, you took the, if you took the images out of this... Does it change the novel? No. Um, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, because he would just talk about no. what images he took. I think that'd be fine. Like I tell my students, if you quote a book and I can delete your quote from your paper and the entire paragraph does not change that you didn't integrate the quote not, not enough into the paper. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's just, you just drop the quote in. And I think there are parts of this where that, that that's happening here. It's like, I could remove these, these five pages here that you've got a bunch of pictures on. And like, it does nothing to the novel. It's, you know, 
Um, okay, so let's 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 close out with these themes. We uh, we talked a little bit about this, so let's kind of solidify what we think about. Um, first, the theme of forgiveness. Should we forgive the grandfather? Does the grandmother forgive the grandfather? Does Oscar have to forgive anyone? Does Oscar have Oscar to forgive, has to forgive his mother? Why, do, why, why is he in a position to be able to forgive? Maybe does should he, should he be, be, be forgiven. forgiven? Yes, Oscar has to be forgiven. Oh my gosh! No, no, no! Not against yeah. your your question. Yeah, yeah. Just like that was that was crazy about Oscar. Um, well, I guess you know, does Oscar forgive himself? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he does. I think it'll still be hard to think back. And, you know, he didn't pick up his father's phone call, well, any of the five of them. Um, but I think that that journey really helped him. Um, there's a nice, I think, mother-son forgiveness. So that works out. Um, does... The, uh, that's so complicated. The grandfather and the grandmother. It's it's like hate and love. It's so intertwined. I I honestly don't know yeah. what to make of that relationship. She's what she clearly I I think that she loves him. I don't know that he loves her or maybe they're not, you know, in love anymore. I don't really know what's happening. Um, so I, I can't make heads or tails about that. I think she, when he goes to, she's really upset when he goes to, um, the airport that last time, which I'm really actually confused how post 9-11 they're able to get past security and just hang out there. Um, I don't know that that makes sense. There's the magical realism right there. Aren't they in an actual... Terminal. In a terminal. I think that he was in. He was in the international terminal. He was sitting at a table, with his hands on his knees. I th- there's there's portions of an airport in an airport terminal that are before the security line. You know, like you can sit there. There might be a couple of newsstands. There's the ticketing counters and all that. And um, so that's where I assume he was in that part of an airport where he was just sitting there before you would pass through security to go to your gate. Why security wasn't like, why has this old man been sitting here for like several hours? That is a good question, but I guess we'll just let it slide. But yeah, yeah. she could, they could be there. There, there is a, there is, there is a realistic way for them to be there. Yeah. So I don't know about that forgiveness. Um, it's almost like the love, I think, trumps the, the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Like people have finally understood that you need to express your love and care towards your loved ones at any moment, at every moment, because you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that people slowly started to mm-hmm. learn that, you know, at the end of the letters and things like that. So I think there is forgiveness seen, but I, I really have a tough time understanding the grandfather and the grandmother and where their actual relationship is at the end of this novel. I, if I'm looking at it from her point of view as presented in the novel, I think it's really, really complex in that there's a lot of time has passed and she can offer up some modicum of forgiveness because of the way things turned out. And I think she is proud of the way things turned out. 
prior to her husband, to her son being killed in the 9/11 attacks. Let's not, you know, let's not say she's mm-hmm. proud of that. But I think mm-hmm. she is proud of the way she raised him. She's proud of the family unit that she created, um, and therefore doesn't need him. And therefore, she can not completely forgive him, but there's like eases a little bit. Um, and that's why I think she lets him in. But at the same time, I don't think that she fully is ever going to let that go. With the yeah. grandfather, it's just, again, does he change by the end of the novel? He's still going to the airport. It's like he still wants to take mm-hmm. off and leave. Like, haven't was saving this whole reveal that he was the renter and all that and letting them into that thing, just like with the mother and the thing was that done so late that we can't really grasp this aside from twist, you know, like it's an M night Shyamalan movie. I mean, (laughs) no, really. I mean, did he do it too late for us to really care? Is my, is, is is a question, you know, Mm. it's like the, one of the other themes that you mentioned was fathers and sons. And I think there is a really potential for a beautiful novel about fathers and sons, but I don't think it's here. I think it's lost in its. Yeah. I think it's lost in what he thinks he, lo- how he thinks he sounds. Like I said, I'll go back to my beginning, but like, just like for trying to figure out who your dad is, and then the estrangement you had and that missed opportunity. You had the one chance, and then all of a sudden, I don't have that chance again. And oh my gosh, my my kid is gone. I mean, there's a lot to explore there. And because we're so wrapped up in all of this that it doesn't earn the ending, you know, it doesn't earn the trip to the graveyard and it doesn't earn the moment in the, in the um, terminal at the end. And it doesn't really earn the thing with the mom at the end. It's a broken, it's a story about broken mm-hmm. father and son yeah, relationships. Yeah. And they don't have yeah. to heal by the end. But I just feel that it was, it didn't get where it was, it didn't earn where it, where it, he took it. No. Do you think that makes it more realistic, the fact that there are so many relationships that unfortunately it was too late and, and fences were not mended? I think it does, but I don't think he makes us care about the male characters in this book enough for us to care about the mm-hmm. way it wraps up. You know, maybe if we liked them and cared about them more, we'd be a little bit more interested in that. Because I do think you're right. I think that it is more realistic. It doesn't have to be wrapped up in a bow. And mm-hmm. the gestures you make post post posthumously so to speak might not work they might be empty they might be hollow there's something hollow about the fact that they dump all the letters into the coffin because it's just like it's for nothing if you really think about it right it's a symbolic gesture that is kind of hollow Mm -hmm. and that would feel that way in the real world you know it sounds really cynical you know it sounds really cold on my part but I think you would walk away feeling good and temporarily but that pain would still be there and the regret and everything and I think that's realistic and I think that's there but 
like I said, we spent so much time being annoyed at the characters that we didn't really care what had happened. That's too bad. Yeah. So, I think I know the... Oh, uh, love... I think we talked about love and speaking it, right? We talked about the lack of communication. I think, yeah. So, we know, I think we both know the answer to this question. Stella, is this required reading? No. Nah. The f- there's got to be... Uh, yeah, there's got to be some other 9-11 literature that um, I think is more poignant to that, to, to, to read. I can recommend a YA one that I read years ago for a grad school course called The Memory of Things. Um, it's about the 16-year-old kid who, in the midst of all the chaos in lower Manhattan, finds this girl wearing an angel costume and she has no idea who, who she is. So he has to kind of solve the mystery to figure out who this girl is because she kind of has amnesia. Um, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's cute in some ways. Um, it's, it's, it's poignant. Um, they're much more straightforward. Uh, but other than that, I really haven't <laughs> read any other novels. I've read a couple of really good short stories, but, uh, but if anybody out there who is listening and wants to comment with titles of novels that might be interesting, that might be worth reading, that uses uh, 9-11 as a backdrop, is about it, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, reach out, let us know. So. All right, so we do have one little piece of feedback. And well, I yes, can't believe so it. It's going to take us through Robert Ward, our Scholastic Book Buddies, comment on our episode about A Raisin in the Sun. Put on my glasses for this. Okay. I didn't read the play this time. I actually watched the version with Danny Glover, John Fielder, in parentheses Piglet, actually (laughs) reprises his role from the original play and film adaptation in this one. Note that he, uh, oh, he, he as in Robert, provided a link to that version, which is available on the YouTube. Yeah, I did not know that. I haven't had a chance to go back and watch it, but but I will. So cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Robert. Um, we are back on the the right side of things with the feed and everything. So things are showing up. And as we get through, oh, finally, as we get through the next few months, we're recording this in July. As we get toward the end of the summer, one of my goals is to get all of the back episodes back on the feed because um, right now we only have the ones that we did in 2000 in 2021. So. Um, just you know, watch for those. If, if your if your feed suddenly has like forty unlistened to episodes, that's that's why because they were just added back. Um, but thank you for your patience and everything, and feel free to go back to those old episodes, give them a listen again, and give us an email. <laughs> but we are going to wrap this up, and in order to do so, we need to know where we're going next month. So Stella, please <laughs> tell us what we're reading. Yeah. So. <laughs> This book also takes place in New York, which I just thought about. But I gave Tom three choices. I'm having trouble deciding what to bring on this show now. And I gave him three vague choices. And he chose choice number one. And I am now going to reveal what that choice was. It is a YA novel called The Sun is Also a Star by Nicola or Nicola Yoon. Okay. I, the title sounds familiar. Yes, the author also did everything, everything. Okay. All right, cool. 
We'll come back in about a month for that. Until next time, thanks for listening and take care. And uh, if you encounter someone on the street who says things like, what the? And Jose, I I suggest running the other way. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Thanks for listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two, two, if you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash required reading with Tom and Stella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review on iTunes? Thanks again for listening, and come back next month for our next episode.